Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you again for bringing us together today. Thank you for this word um, in this famous and familiar parable. Um, we hope to hear more from you about the kind of people that you want us to be. Help me to speak clearly, help us to listen well, and please transform our lives with your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I apologize in advance. I'm a little hoarse. I think it's from talking yesterday already. <laughs> so bear with me, please. <clears throat> so today we're continuing in our series, ongoing series of the Gospel of Matthew, and we are looking at a famous parable. Um, this parable is so famous that I thought it was worth it to just focus on it today, uh, but we still want to connect it to everything that we've been talking about up to this point. So um, it was interesting to me that Matthew starts this story, his narration of this story, by saying, the same day Jesus went out of the house. So yesterday was a big day, so we might have already forgotten what happened last week. But does anybody remember what we were talking about last week? Right. So, okay, so his followers, his followers were, he was saying the people that were really his mother and brothers and sisters were the people that listened to his word and obeyed it. Um, so this is the same day as that. Anything else that we need to remember about last week? Okay, right. We were talking about demons. We were ta talking about whether the spirit in Jesus or in individual people is from God, the Holy Spirit, or from some other source that is opposed to the kingdom of God, opposed to what God is doing in Jesus Christ. And so um, Jesus was kind of setting up this... He's, he's sort of been doing this already in his teaching in this book, but um, he's increasingly setting up this idea that there really are two kingdoms in play. There's the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of the heavens, and there's the empire, which is all of our, um, our own understanding, our selfishness, our sin, and our society's selfishness and sin, and oppression and abuse and all those lovely things um, that we encounter da daily. And Jesus is kind of saying there is, there are certain people who are part of the kingdom and certain people who are not, and maybe it's not who you expect. And he's coming at all kinds of different ways of describing this. And today he's doing it again. But it's nice to me to realize that he's telling this story about the seeds and the sower, the same day that he sounded like maybe he was kind of blowing off his actual family, his biological family. Right before this, he says, you know, these people who hear the word and obey it are my family. Kind of implying that maybe his biological family was not. He wasn't considering them his family. But this is the same day his family was outside of the house. The same day, Jesus went out of the house. So even though it sounded like he's saying, you know, that these people who actually are my biological family are maybe not my family, he's actually giving them a chance to become his family on the other terms because he's going outside to where they are. There's a lot of other people outside, though. So he is 
um, making himself accessible to his family, but he's also making himself accessible to the crowds. But in order to do that, like David said, in order for him to be heard, he needs to get out of the middle of the crowd. And so he gets on a boat because water, we know that sound carries really well over water. And so he gets on a boat and he starts talking. And in a way, he's sort of talking about the same thing that he was already talking about in the house. But he is using a different analogy. He's not talking about demons anymore. He's not talking about clean or unclean spirits. He's not talking about being possessed, he's talking about farming. All the, the, the ordinary people and his family can identify with farming. He lives in a rural area, and this is an analogy that a lot of people can appreciate, and even here, a lot of us can appreciate this. So, Jesus tells a story about a sower sowing seeds, and how many of us here have heard this story before? Could somebody... Give us a summary of what happens. What's that, dude? No, just tell me what happens in the story. What is what is Jesus' story? Right. Yeah, okay, great. So Jesus is telling a story about a farmer who has a bag of seed, and in the Bible times, usually the, the farmers would have these big bags, and it would be full of seed, and they would throw it with their hands on their farm fields. And um, like Bernice and David both were saying, there are some of the seed falls on good soil, and some of it falls on not-so-great soil, and so some of the seed bears fruit, and, and the rest of it doesn't. There's already something weird that Jesus is doing in this story, because... Um, the sower is just throwing seed everywhere. What farmer that knows anything about farming is going to randomly chuck their precious seed onto a path? <laughs> so Jesus is telling this story already in a way to catch people's attention. It doesn't seem like that exciting of a story to us because it's just seed and it's growing and can't even really watch that happening in real life. So, um, but Jesus is catching his audience attention because he's, he's basically like this farmer is so generous and so interested in growing seed everywhere. It does, he doesn't care where he throws it. He's throwing it on, on prepared soil and unprepared soil and soil that's not even supposed to grow anything because it's a path. He's just throwing it everywhere. The sower, of course, is God. And Jesus is saying God is like this. God casts his word everywhere. This particular gospel of Matthew is written specifically to Jewish people who don't yet understand that Jesus is their Messiah. And so um, Matthew is kind of, by sharing this story in this way, although the other gospels also share it, um, Matthew's kind of saying, this, this word is for everybody. But... Not everybody is going to receive it in the same way. The sower is God. The seed in this story is the word of God. Like David said, Matthew actually calls it the message of the kingdom. Mark and Luke call it the word. Um, Matthew calls it the message about the kingdom. These two things are connected. The word of God is about the kingdom of God. And the people in this story are not the seeds. 
they are the different types of soil. So not only is the farmer super generous, just throwing his seed everywhere, that's one thing to notice, but there's something else to notice here about this that Jesus is saying. The same seed is sown on all the different types of soil. All the types of soil get the same message. They all get the message about the kingdom of God. But according to this passage is weird because Jesus tells a story and then he tells some other stories and then later he explains this story to his disciples. Um, and so in the second part of this passage where he's explaining, he is showing that the type of soil that a person is, is not dependent on their ethnicity or their gender or even their religion, which the Jews that he was speaking to would have expected. It's not dependent on those things. It's dependent on the condition that their heart is in. This is consistent with everything that Matthew has been showing us in this gospel about Jesus' message. Jesus' message of the kingdom turns our upside-down world back right-side up. And the message is for everybody, but not everybody is going to be able to receive it. Not everybody will find the narrow way, like Jesus talked about before. Not everyone is pure in heart, and not everyone is poor in spirit, and not everyone mourns over the abuses of empire in the world. Like we saw last week, what is already in us will affect how we are able to respond to the message. So last week I told a parable about a mouse in my car air filter, and um, what was in my car air filter was affecting the filter's ability to put clean air into my car. Um, this is a similar type of analogy that Jesus is saying. What is in the soil already is going to affect how well the soil is able to grow the seed. Here's a question for us, because I think we often, in this church and others, we think in these terms. Is this parable about salvation? Well, yes. <laughs> um, all along, though, Matthew has been sharing with us that the teachings of Jesus show over and over again that in the end there will be a separation between people of the kingdom of the heavens and everyone else. But also that we cannot assume that we know who is who. We can't say, like some of us might be tempted to say, well, that person says they believe in Jesus. And so even though their life doesn't look very biblical, they must be saved. But we also can't say, like some of us might be tempted to say, that person is such a good, kind person, they must be saved even though they don't believe in Jesus. We also can't, we certainly can't say, that person's an American, so they must be saved, or that person is whatever, a any other thing that we might use, like the people that Jesus is speaking to in the story might use to kind of decide, well, this person is in the kingdom and this person's not. We can't depend on those things. And in this parable, Jesus is not giving us a chart or a graph so that we can predict who, including us, is saved or not saved. It's not that tidy. Salvation is not dependent on our works, and it is dependent on Jesus, but how we, we can't 
fit it into a grid. And it's not really up to us to judge. It's not our job. What is up to us, what is our responsibility, is to examine our own lives to see what kind of fruit we're, or crop we're bearing. So this parable does a few things. And one of the things that it does is it, instead of giving us just two categories of people, it actually gives us four, just to kind of complicate it and, and stir up questions for us, because that's often how we learn. And the four categories give us a way of evaluating our own life's fruit rather than each other's salvation. This is a story that shows that a person's presence and participation in the kingdom is dependent on how the word of God, through the spirit of God, transforms their life. There's been this running theme already in this gospel of good trees and bad trees. Jesus says you can tell the difference between a good tree and a bad tree, not by what it looks like, but by the quality of its fruit. And now he's illustrating how this happens. The quality of a tree's fruit, or of a crop, in this case a crop's crop, um, depends on the condition of its root. So, the depth of root in this story determines the fruit. The word of God and the human soul interact together to bear kingdom fruit. And we already know that the kingdom fruit, the good news, is healing and reconciliation and freedom between people and God in the world. But, like we saw last week in my parable of the mice and the air filter, the word is good, the word is always good, but if the soul is filled up with other stuff, the word can't do its job. So in Jesus' story today, there are four kinds of soil. There's barren soil, there's shallow soil, there's crowded soil, and there's fruitful soil. The barren soil is the path. The path is not supposed to be a farm field. It's a path. And so it's all hardened down, even if it's in Jesus' day, it's probably not paved where he lives. The Romans did pave roads, but some likely there were too many paved roads in Galilee. Um, so it's hard. It is not receptive to seeds, because that's not what it's for. They, someone might be able to grow something in the path if they waited a long time and they made sure that nothing happened to the seed that they just threw on there. If the rain watered it enough, it might grow. But before any of that stuff can happen, the enemy, there is an enemy in this world. Jesus is clear about that, too. The enemy does not want to, us to be part of God's kingdom. The enemy also doesn't want human beings' well-being. So the enemy comes up before the word can sink into the path, snatches away the word so that that soil or that heart can't even receive the seed. The word hits it, the enemy grabs it, that soil doesn't have a chance to grow anything at all. The seed and the soil of the path don't get a chance to work together. They can't work together and so the soil of the path is not transformed and the seed disappears as if it had never fallen there at all. So there, in this case, there are no roots and there's no fruit. The next kind of soil is shallow soil or rocky soil. We know about rocky soil here in New England, I think. Anybody that's tried to grow anything here knows we have a lot of rocks. And it is possible to grow stuff here, but you have to dig up a lot of rocks. 
maybe, I'm not saying this is true, because I haven't really thought about it that much, but maybe, spiritually, New England is a bit rocky as well. So, it might be good for us, as mostly New Englanders, to ask ourselves the question, is my soul rocky? And one way to figure that out is to also ask ourselves, how do I do when things get tough? When things get tough, does it make me run away from God, or does it make me run to God? Is the message of the kingdom, are the thoughts and attitudes of the kingdom, actually rooted in my soul so that when things get a little rocky, I can draw on those, or does it just die off and disappear? If you're wondering what the thoughts and attitudes of the kingdom are, you can actually look back in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount, and it's all right there. So in the case of the rocky soil, the soil is super receptive to the good news of the kingdom. And so the plant, the, the seed goes into the soil, and the plant sprouts quickly because the seed is still is just below the surface. But below that surface is also a layer of rock, and the rock is not receptive at all. It might actually be even less receptive than the path. So we hear the good news, and we're happy because we love the way reconciliation and freedom and healing sound, but when we find out that those, all three of those things come through, not instead of suffering or obscurity or loss, which is the way of the cross, Jesus says we have to take up our cross and follow him, the roots can't make it through the resistance. And so that soil or soul, what little is there of that soil, is not transformed by the seed. There are teeny tiny roots, but no fruit. doesn't get a chance to grow big enough to bear any kind of crop. The third kind of soil is crowded soil. This is the soil that has thorns and weeds in it. The soil is super fertile. There's already stuff growing there. We have a mailbox outside our house up by the road, and it's on the other side of a stone wall. And so for a while, we just didn't really plant anything there, and just and weeds and random stuff grew up there. And this year, I decided I wanted to take that stuff out and plant some nice flowers there instead, because it's a decent amount of space to have some flowers. Well, because there have been so many weeds there forever, um, my spring flowers didn't do very well, and, like, I maybe got three. And then the weeds came back, and now they're just crazy, and there's one weed there that actually leaches all the nutrients out of the soil, and it's, I can't keep up with it. It's just been growing and getting, and getting so big so fast that it creates these seed pods, and then it plants more of itself, and it's a project. <laughs> I don't have time to, to keep working on that. And so um, so I, I really understand this crowded soil idea. In Jesus' analogy, there are lots of roots. Also by my mailbox, there are lots of roots. It's just not the roots of the kingdom. It's all this other stuff. The deeper, older, faster-growing roots of weeds and thorns are like... Jesus says the worries of this life, the daily grind, self-interest, trying to stay in control of your life, the worries of this life, and the deceitfulness of wealth, he says. Plus, the seeds that those 
crazy old roots are, are continuing to put out. And all of those things choke out the baby roots of the word. When the word gets choked out, Jesus says, you might get a couple little plants here and there, but they just don't have enough room to grow. And so they are unfruitful. But the fourth soil is the fruitful soil. It is good soil. It has been prepared. It has been tilled. The rocks have been dug out. It's been weeded. So we need to think about this. In real life, the farmer has something to do with this process, doesn't he? Right. Jesus knows that. He doesn't actually mention that in his story. The way he's telling the story, it just sounds like these soils are like this. There's this kind, this kind, this kind, this kind. They were all always like this. That's how it is. And I think the reason he does that is because that the part about the farmer actually preparing the soil is not the main part of the point that he's trying to make. However, we do need to keep that in the back of our minds. If you notice, when we're thinking about this story, if you notice yourself wondering if you are one of the other soils, the first three soils, if you think maybe you are, but you want to be the fruitful soil, this may be an indication that the heavenly farmer is ready to prepare the soil in you. The farmer might be ready to till you, dig out the rocks, and weed you. He might just be waiting for you to ask. This is probably another good time to remind us that Jesus' parables um, are really good analogies, and there is no parable on earth, including Jesus's, that every point-by-point -point thing matches up with real life. So in real life, the soil does not ask the farmer to till it, <laughs> right? But it's always implied in Jesus' analogies or Jesus' parables that this is something that can happen. If you want to be the fruitful soil and you're concerned that you're not, maybe the farmer is waiting for you to ask him to prepare the soil so that you can be fruitful. Just keep in mind, the farmer preparing the soil might actually feel like what it sounds like. Tilling, digging out the rocks, and weeding. The way of the kingdom is the way of the cross. The cross sometimes hurts. And so when we ask the farmer to work on us so that we can be fruitful, that's probably because there's stuff in us that needs to come out. And sometimes that hurts. But on the other side of the cross is freedom and reconciliation and healing, not just in heaven when we die, but here and now we can start to participate in that. The seed of the word sinks right into the prepared soil, into the prepared soul that hears the word and understands it. This, says Jesus, is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. The soil is actually transformed by allowing the seeds to take root in it. And the seed takes root because the soil was ready for it. The seed 
and the word, or the, the soil and the word, work together. Together, the word of the kingdom and the prepared, receptive soul, God's work in us and our work in the world bears fruit, works of reconciliation, freedom, and healing. And that is the good news in the world. And beyond that, just like the weeds in front of my mailbox, if the crop is fruitful, the crop is also going to produce seeds, right? So then the farmer has more seeds to sow, or we might, we might be scattering the seeds. More seed will fall into more ground. And some of that ground may also be barren and rocky and weedy, or it might be receptive. But it can also be tilled and prepared over time so that more and more of the kingdom crop grows. This is how the gospel is supposed to work. Not just words, seeds, but understanding, growth, and produce in our character and in our lives. Just a quick word to competitive people like me. Or overachievers. <laughs> the crop does not have to be 100-fold. It doesn't have to be 100-fold right away either. The point of this story, when Jesus says the, the fruitful soil will produce 30-fold or 60-fold or 100-fold, is not to compare our, our crop of life with each other. The point is to be soil that can bear fruit, rather than the person whose soul is barren or rocky or crowded with weeds. The fact that there is a crop, any crop at all, with healthy roots and actual fruit is what distinguishes the soil of the kingdom. This person received God's word. There's fruit there. This person allowed God's word to root into their life, even when the going got tough, or even when the regular everyday concerns challenged their faith. This person allowed the roots of God's word to grow deep and change them, and out of their souls came a crop. Praise God. This is what he wants to do for all of us. It doesn't actually matter what kind of soil your soul is right now if you're willing to allow the farmer to till it. And the word to come in there and start to understand it and let it transform you. The more word that gets in there, the more word that you let in there, the more you will be changed and the more you'll understand it and the more fruit you'll grow. Praise the Lord. Let's pray that God will make us more and more receptive soil. So we might start out with 30-fold fruit. Great. And we might grow to 60. And we might grow to 100. Let's let the roots of the message of the kingdom grow deep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that... You are such a generous farmer. You throw your seed everywhere. You want your word to go out everywhere. You want people everywhere to belong to your kingdom. And we pray that we will be receptive soil. We pray that you will enable us to hear your word and understand it more and more. We pray that our lives will be transformed by your word that we will be people who bring reconciliation and freedom and healing to the world around us, and that more fruit and more fruit and more fruit will be produced for your kingdom. Thank you that this is your will, in Jesus' name.